0: Talk, entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State.
1: I walked out in the field this morning at 9.30 and I looked out at the sea of people and I just, I just it just took me back to the first years of this Concord when Bill started and he'd worked 12 months for that Concord and after it was all done and he finally worked to get everything taken down, he had to pour thousands and thousands of dollars out of his own pocket to pay the final expenses. He didn't make any
2: money out of it. He did that for the first few years. And every year, he put more money into
0: it. About 50% of our show is centered around race cars and racing personalities. Uh, I've always been into racing. I've raced for about 35 years myself. I felt it would be an appropriate time to celebrate the career of our heroes and allow the public to have interface with them, something you can't do at a racetrack. You can't go to the Daytona 500 and shake Jeff Gordon's hand. You can come to Amelia and meet Johnny Rutherford, Dario Franchitti, Dan Gurney, Sterling Moss. It'd be like a a guy into baseball being able to go up and shake Mickey Mantle's hand.
1: It's a wonderful event for everybody concerned. You know, there's a great range of cars. You don't have to be a great specialist in order to enjoy them. This place is absolutely alive with the cars uh, all around and, uh, and the spectators to go with it. He just puts on a tremendous event. He works very hard at it. So does everybody else in the whole organisation. It's, it's a huge success from his point of view and in fact the whole organisation when he's able to write that check on Sunday night for the hospice that it,
0: that it supports. I'm not really a Concours guy. I'm not the kind of guy that picks grass out the tires and polishes everything. I drive my cars, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to bring an event to the Jacksonville area. It's just grown exponentially. People say, well, you're the newest Concours around. Well, we're 18 years old now. You know, We're not the newest kid on the block. Where I think I have succeeded is if someone comes up after the show who's very, very, very knowledgeable, a Jay Leno of this world who knows every car, walks up to me and says, I never knew that car existed if they do that I, I go away smiling this is the show for guys who are really interested in the people in the history and uh, all of the in, the things that are that, that made the automobile interesting and uh, bill has understood that i mean he manages to find the most interesting cars and people and brings them down here and he's been innovative every year with his seminars and has made this a whole broad week down here, incredibly exciting things. We're exposing these young children to career paths they may not think about in design or building. We're going to talk about how our car evolves, and I think it's something we owe to the community. We can't just write checks to charities and walk away. We've got to do something educational, and that's part of what we do here.
3: It's very, very special. I mean, it's something we like to come to. Obviously, we meet a lot of friends. you know it's just one of those occasions i guess in in the year that one says okay that's where we want to be Amelia island this is it
0: the two fairways out there are my canvas and every every year i i paint a portrait of automotive history and to me that's exciting
3: and now
1: hey rocky watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat again (laughs) up my sleeve (laughs) crystal no doubt about it i gotta get another hat now here's something we hope you'll really like
0: this is Bill Warner of the Amelia Island Concord Delegance, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
1: Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live... Down here in the studios in downtown Clearwater, don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out com, where you can go to our archive page. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? <laughs> well, I tell you what. This is the weekend we've been waiting for. Amelia Island. The Amelia is... It starts actually kind of tomorrow. Yeah, because Bonhams has their... Uh, I think their preview, Bottoms is on Thursday, Gooding, our good friends at Gooding and Company is Friday, and then we have the Cars and Coffee on Saturday, along with a whole host of other things, including some seminars, and the main event, the Amelia Island Concours d'Elegance. Now, Called the Amelia. Interesting. Anyway, we got a real special guest for you tonight. We got two special guests, actually. I have a good friend of mine coming on. He's from Gooding Auction. They have some pretty interesting cars, and uh, we'll talk about that. And then, of course, we're going to do part two with Don Friedo, and we're going to finish our story about California hot rodding and some of the stuff that he was involved in. And I know at the very end, of, I was trying to think where we left off last week. And uh, it was when you starting to talk about how he went to Washington D.C. as a lobbyist for SEMA. Now we had the uh, uh, senior counsel on our show a number of years ago for SEMA. We talked a little bit about that, but we didn't get into lobbying. But SEMA, okay, Special Event Marketing Association, is the it is the reason, guys that we have our hot rods and our hot rods and our parts and all the cool stuff that we do. Whether you're in the hot rods, whether you're in the motorcycles, whether you're in the 4 by 4s whether you're in the boats, all that kind of stuff, SEMA is the reason we can play with all this stuff and modify it and hot rod it and do all the other cool stuff and the reason we have a lot of these TV shows on the air. So, Bobby, why don't you go ahead and uh, call our guests here in a second and let's get our first guest on the show. Let's see, what did we do this past weekend? I think we did not much, but the weekend before that... Uh, well, this past weekend was a Boca Concourse. Unfortunately, I had stuff I had to do, so I couldn't go to that. Um, the weekend before that, I did go to the Porsche thing, to the Porsche 356 meet that we had at Howie in the Hills at the Mission Inn Resort Super event. And then, of course, the Villages. Every third Saturday of the month in the Villages, they have a really, really, really cool car show. And I've been going there, Bobby and I have been going there, I don't know, for the last four or five years uh, once we found out about it. Didn't really know what to expect. But let me tell you something. Even though those guys are my age, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, well, not that I'm there yet, but anyway, you know, they're 50, 60, 70, a lot of retired guys. But I'll tell you what, there are some serious car guys there. You go up there, and this past event that they had a couple weeks ago, um, they had a record, well, I don't say a record, but they had close to 300 cars there, 290 something cars. Let's just call it 300. It's just rounded off. At any rate, um, that is a really, really fun event. It's in a town square. They got music. They got, uh, you know, people get up there and line dance and dance dance and all that kind of cool stuff. You got a square, you got fountains and all that cool stuff. Tons of restaurants. But it's like it's like a, if I had to draw, you know, it's like a 50s town square, 50s, 60s town square. And it's really, really cool. But, you know, and it's packed. And the cars are anything, high-rods, street-rods, muscle cars, custom cars, sports cars. In fact, uh, our friends from the Tampa Bay Healy Club were up there, and um, and they brought a whole bunch of other British cars. And of course, as you know, if you follow the show, we have a 1974 MGB GT, and so we're in three the sixes, and we're in a sports car. But anyway, hey, it's time to introduce my uh, good buddy here, my good friend. From, uh, you know, and Amelia Island this week, of course, they do a number of auctions. They do, it's Gooding & Company, which they probably are, in my opinion, the premier auction for high-end cars. And they do an event at uh, Scottsdale, an event at Amelia, and, of course, Monterey. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening. One of the top guys there, automotive specialist, if you will, Garth Hammers. Garth, how are you doing this evening?
2: I'm doing fine. How are you? It's been a little while.
1: It's been a while. Now, did you just touch down here in Florida? Are you still in yeah. California, IA?
2: No, still, I'm already in Florida, caught the tail end of the rain, and uh, it's just been beautiful ever since, and I think for the rest of the week.
1: Yes, we're going to have some spectacular spectacular, look, 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 weather, yeah, absolutely.
2: That's so, what it looked like to me today, yes.
1: Hey, i got to tell you, I look at the uh, list of cars that you have, uh, you got some pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So why don't you tell us, I have to tell you this, I actually have a prospective client that is interested in one of the cars that you have, and that is the F40. So why don't we start with the F40, tell us a little bit about that car.
2: Well, that is a, that's a fabulous car. It's um, a 1991, so toward the end of production, the U.S. Uh, uh, market car, which uh, obviously is the, uh, uh, the most desirable type to have um, here in the U.S., um, a little under three thousand miles, I want to say, um, and just absolutely a, a star automobile. Really beautiful, and, and you know that car along with you know it, it's just, just a, such a wonderful lineup this year. It's a very well-rounded sale. Um, you know, I think Gooding and Company is known for that uh, at all of our uh, marquee sales, but this time it, it's it's there's something special about this group of cars. I have to say.
1: Go on and tell us about some of the features. Now, I know you've got a number of Porsches, so tell us about the Porsche collection you got there.
2: Well, quite a number of Porsches. Um, we, we have a beautiful group of cars put together by just a, a heck of a guy, and, and unfortunately we don't have him anymore. Um, his name was Rudy Mancinas out of Texas, and he put together such a special group. And it, it's not just Porsches. Porsches and BMWs. Um, but he really had an eye for color, and he, he customized his cars just a little bit, not uh, most of them anyway, um, just in terms of matching brake calipers and contrasting seat belts and just just things. He called it uh, "rutifying" a car.
1: Okay, I like that, rutifying. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. So there's a selection of M3s as well as a beautiful a couple of uh, uh, the BMW uh, 2002 TIIs, including a Tii Touring. Those are a lot of fun. They weren't sold here, you know, the hatchback. Hmm. Um, they're they're just they're just absolutely wonderful cars, and they're all up without reserve, um, beautifully kept, beautifully presented. Um, I wish we still had Rudy, but it's an honor to uh, to uh, represent his cars.
1: What's that like to have? You know, and maybe I'm going off tangent here just a little bit, but when you and 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 as a lot of collectors are starting to get to that age, like you said, some of them, you know, they were customers of yours. Uh, people that used to patronize uh, you know the the concourse events and 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 other uh, high-end car shows and stuff and now they're no longer with us and now you get to sell their cars but you had a personal relationship with these guys what's that like for you
2: well it's it's just an honor to work with uh, the, the families uh, children of spouses of um, you know these are oftentimes uh, relationships that are cultivated over many many years and they're 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 not just professional relationships, they're really friendships because all of us, all the specialists here at Gooding & Company, we're we're car guys ourselves. We were raised around cars. It wasn't something we chose to do. We were sort of destined to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> for myself being raised around gull wings and, um, you know, for some of my colleagues being raised around other cars, it, it just put it in our DNA. And we get to know these people really, really well, and, and sometimes we lose one. And... um it's it's a it, it's it's an honor to be able to represent their cars in a way that we know that they would have liked.
1: In his collection, the '56 uh, Porsche Coupe and this convertible D were those part of his collection as well. Oh
2: no, those are separate. Those are um, those are not part of Rudy's collection.
1: Okay, so tell us a little bit about that. Let's just talk about that for a second. These cars, and I remember a number of years ago you being a 300SL guy, and I remember this was at uh, I'm going to say Scottsdale. They had the black 300SL Gullwing with the red interior that was kind of like one of the first cars. It was kind of like I don't want to use the term barn find, but maybe it was. Maybe that's the right term. But it went ballistic. That car brought crazy money. So now you have this convertible D, which is actually a rare car. They only made like 1,800 of them. Me being a Porsche guy, I kind of know those cars. And then, of course, the 356 356, um, Mm 356A. And they're very let's just say edgy, unrestored kind of, well, I'll get to it one day type deal. So Tell us about the market on those kind of cars.
2: Well, those are very interesting, and, and uh, along with uh, any other barn find car, uh, I, I think a lot of collectors like the idea and the romance of, a, of you know finding a car in a garage. But they just don't their their lifestyle is such that they go to work every day and they you know they have to do what they what they do and they don't have time to go and you know be Indiana Jones and find these cars. It's <laughs> uh, true, but but. Um, it's It's a real thrill to to bring a car to auction that the market has never seen. And you know many times these cars will will be in need of restoration. But in the case of these two cars, they both retain their matching numbers, factory installed engines. Um, you know and and three fifty six a coupes are very, very popular as you know mm-hmm. um, with with collectors. so and they're both offered without reserves. so it's a it's a thrill to offer them we know that they'll likely go straight to restoration shops uh you know and uh and and then join the uh the Porsche world
1: okay now another car that i think is going to get a lot of attention and i'm sure Pete Brock's going to be walking around there and that's the Toyota 2000 GT race car so tell us a little bit about that car That has very interesting history oh,
2: it's a, it has a wonderful history it's uh it's the first Toyota 2000 GT. It's uh, serial number 10001. Uh, the first car built, and Carroll Shelby put together just a few for racing. Um, and this car was, was used really as a practice car, but it's absolutely intact. It's been in, uh, it's been in the same ownership, very uh, expert ownership since 1980. Um, and it, this is a car that we've been speaking with the owner about for many years, uh, and we're just absolutely thrilled that he, you know, that he called us that we're, uh, that we were his go-to auction house, um, and it, it it just rolled in today actually, and it's uh, it sounds so good it's, it's with the straight pipes. It just uh, you'd, you'd want to hear it at full at full throttle on a on your favorite racetrack. It's, that's really a special car.
1: Well, you know, we said, made
2: 335 of them anyway, and this being the first one, it is arguably the most important Japanese car maybe ever, and and probably uh, the most important 2000 GT in, in that world as well.
1: Well, I got to tell you, um, I think that that is probably the, you know what a Lamborghini Miura does for Italian cars? The Toyota 2000 GT does for Japanese cars. Would that be a fair statement?
2: it's absolutely a fair statement in that that was that was what toyota was looking to do they they, they knew that they wanted to emerge onto the world stage as a as a manufacturer and they knew they couldn't do it with their little crown four-door they think it was something that would get noticed you know and not that there's anything wrong with the crown four-door but it just wasn't going to pull the headline that uh that 2000 gt did and uh, you probably remember as a kid seeing 2,000 GTs and how exciting they were design-wise. Um, and they were just magnificently built.
1: Well, I grew up in the Bay Area, north of San Francisco, so you're absolutely right. every On an occasion, you would see a 2,000 GT. It was very rare, but probably when the car got the most amount of attention is when it was used in the movie You Only Live Twice with James Bond and they whacked the roof off the one that he rode around in. And uh, and I bought the model, the MPC model back then. So that was a stunning car; still is.
2: Yep. So you got into it the same way I did, you know, from from childhood. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a good fit with Gooding & Company. Um, we've, we've we we just we we've gotten to represent some of the world's greatest cars, and it's just it's a, it's a thrill every every time we. Uh, Every time we come to town and have an auction, it's it's, uh, it, it's still a thrill for me, and I know it is for David Gooding as well.
1: The 66 Shelby Cobra. Now, I'm a Shelby guy also, and i got a real weakness for that car. I've never had one. I've came close. Now they're out of the stratosphere. But you've got, tell us about the 66, the black car you got uh, that's coming on stage here in a couple of days.
2: Well, it's a, a, a 66 427. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, estimated at a million two to a million four we we expect that car to sell very well um uh and it's black on black color combination is uh it's, it's pretty stunning um you know and they only made 260 of the uh
1: uh big blocks uh,
2: road cars with so big block road cars
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh and it's been upgraded with uh with sc features um it, it's been in a private collection for for many many years uh very knowledgeable collection with, uh, uh, and its provenance is known um, really since day one. It's a very special car, and, and, as are all real Cobras, but yes. this, is, uh, this is a very, very nice example.
1: Let's jump down to the 54 Bentley R-Type. Now, I'm actually a fan of those cars, and I don't know if you had the car, or I know the car's floating around, but apparently at one point it was purchased new by Ian Fleming, and uh, it was kind of roaming around the Hollywood area, and I, the la- I actually saw the car down in Miami. It's in a storage facility down there, and I took the liberty of sitting in it and just pretending I was Ian Fleming slash James Bond for a second. But that is a stunning car. Tell us some stories on that.
2: Well, that's, that's a, uh, an opportunity you want to take. Okay. Because that, that car really does have that, that provenance. The one we have here, similarly... Um, it's really the ultimate spec It's the left-hand drive center shift, uh, uh, uh manual car with, uh, uh, the most stunning restoration, uh, you know, and with the wheel stats. So uh, the lines and proportions of an R-Type, as you know, are, are absolutely wonderful. And I, I think that's really completed with, the, by the wheel stats. Um, this car was built for, uh, racer Bill Spear, who raced at Le Mans many years, uh, with Briggs Cunningham on his team, mm-hmm. um, and its provenance is known really uh, from day one, and it has a, uh, a simply stunning PNA wood restoration. Um, we've had the Gooding and Company has had probably seven or eight R types, and I, I think they're one of the most beautifully designed automobiles of all time. And this car is a standout among all of those. It, it's just absolutely beautiful inside and out
1: Garth we have a minute or two left tell us about your favorite car there
2: I have to say my favorite is the 1937 Lago. that oh. might have your eye as well yes C150C SS Teardrop Pagoni and Felassi uh, Teardrop Coupe um, they made about 10 of them however two of them just two of those had fully skirted fenders front and rear um, and this one is the only one remaining with its original coachwork intact. Um, it was put away in the mid 1950s in Santa Monica and spent almost 50 years in a uh, uh, in a garage there before it emerged as a totally untouched car. Um, its provenance also is known from day one. Um, there's a, maybe, maybe the best archival photo we've ever published of the car sitting next to the uh, Type 41 Bugatti uh, Royale Coupe Napoleon mm-hmm. with the uh, Eiffel Tower in the background. It's just an incredible picture. Um, and it was owned by Tommy Lee. If you've been from California, you will remember the, the, uh, uh, the fellow Tommy Lee, son of Don Lee of, um, of Los Angeles. He had a, a quite a collection of cars, particularly uh, European exotics to Take them out to Morocco Dry Lake and and run them, um, but it was beautifully restored. It's won lots of concours. It's never been offered for sale publicly since the early '50s after uh, after Tommy Lee passed away. It and it is the, just one of the most stunning automobiles from every single angle. Um, the the lines are just intoxicating. It, it, it's worth the trip just to see this car, just to walk around it.
1: Tell everybody how they can find out more about Gooding and & Company and how they get to Amelia Island and participate.
2: Oh, well, our auction is this Friday, uh, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, you can watch the, uh, the auction online at uh, goodingco.com, and even bid online, actually. Um, uh, let's see, goodingco.com. And we are located just uh, you know, along the A-1A here in Amelia Island at the uh, the Omni uh, Plantation Resort. Uh, you'll, there will be signs. Come and see us. We're open for viewing uh, starting 9 a.m. on Thursday. Uh, and we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to show you around.
1: Well, super. And give out your name again, Garth, so they can see you personally.
2: Oh, come and ask for Garth Hammers. Come to the... Come to the front desk and, uh, and ask for me. I'm happy to come and uh, come and greet you.
1: Super. Well, Garth, I want to thank you for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio Cars, as always. And I will be there on Friday. Looking forward to seeing you and some of those amazing cars. And uh, maybe we we'll get a chance to say hi to Charlie Ross, who's probably, in my opinion, the best auctioneer. And, uh, and David and, and, and company.
2: Well, beautiful. So, I'm not sure that's even open for debate. I think he actually is the greatest automobile auctioneer of all time. He's, uh, he's just wonderful. He's he's auctioned every lot that we've sold at a live auction uh, since our inception in uh, in two thousand four.
1: Well, we had him on a show a few years back, and I look forward to having him on again. And then, of course, say hello to Pauline. Thank her very much. And I'll uh, uh, oh, the best. We will. Uh, we will be. We will be there. We will be talking about you. So uh, thank you very much again.
2: Well, come see me. Great, glad to glad to hear you'll be coming by.
1: Very good, Garth. Take care. I want to thank my special guest, Garth Hammers from Gooding and Company. They've got some amazing cars. They truly have the best cars up for grabs. All you collector guys on the whole island this weekend. And then don't forget.
2: I'll agree with you, Robert.
1: Okay. <laughs> thank you very much, Garth. We got to go. We got our next guest coming on. Hey, don't forget touch base with us here at Nostalgic Video in Cars every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. It's time for our next guest. And uh, it'll be interesting to pick up where we left off last week. So, hey, here's a little song. Now, the reason we're playing a little Herbie Hancock is because Herbie Hancock actually owns a real live, and I believe, 289 Cobra. So let's listen to a little uh, Herbie Hancock and the song that he wrote and sang... And the proceeds from this song went to purchase this Cobra. It's called The Watermelon Man. Very popular song out of the 60s. Hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Renewing Cars. Off last week with our good buddy Don Pietro. Don, how you doing? Let's go to part two. Where you been? Good. I uh, I've been hanging around waiting
3: for you to call back.
1: Oh, okay. Did That's been a long time correct? for a whole, a whole week. You're on the phone there.
3: Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know how much to do.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, listen. So the last time uh, when I cut you off, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, when we uh, had tra- you were talking about how you ended up going to Washington. As a lobbyist. Now, I just mentioned a little earlier, I was talking about how you did that just a little bit and talking about if it weren't for SEMA, a lot of us hot rodders and street racers wouldn't be playing around with a lot of the hot rods and modifying our cars like we are today. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little bit?
3: Okay, well, uh, it brought brought me into SEMA to uh, talk about... The, the legislature closing in on cars in California and of course the federal issues that were being developed at the time so i went to work with Lou Bainey at and uh, we we were faced with several state problems that the speed shops in those states called us and said help help well i uh, I got a hold of a lawyer. We had a lawyer in Washington, his name was Dale Hoag. Very smart gentleman. He he flew out and we sat down with a manufacturer of my choice who I knew was uh, concerned about what was going on. So with the wheels, it was Jim Cavanaugh. With the emissions, it was Jim McFarland. And I don't remember the guy's name that was uh, uh, worked for Blackhawk Headers uh, who addressed the noise issue. Anyway, what we do is we, we sit around and talk about how uh, we can help them write the rules so that it doesn't directly affect just the high-performance industry. And often we'd come up with a with a solution uh, using existing rules, like in the when they wanted to outlaw the jack up the jacking up the cars in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dale found a rule that had a bumper spec uh, that was a measurement. So we went to the uh, the legislature and uh, proposed that they used this as the spec instead of outlawing things that, uh, that were jacked up in the back arbitrarily, because that wouldn't hold up in court. But the, the, if you had the federal measurement that uh, the car companies had to build cars within that spec, uh, they loved it. So uh, we were successful in, in Wisconsin on that. Then we went to New Jersey and did a noise issue with a racetrack and we brought machinery that would measure the distance from the racetrack and uh, the the noise that it put out and we convinced them that they're really not outside the the normal spec of a train going by or an airplane going over and uh they bought our story okay then we went to uh uh Portland, and they wanted to outlaw wheels because the guys were putting big wheels in the back and they were sticking out of the fenders. So we helped them with that spec and showed them how the uh, uh, SEMA was coming up with a 5-1 wheel spec program so that all of the manufacturers that made aluminum wheels, which were part of the question, Uh, how they had to test those wheels and comply with that spec. Uh, The the Japanese had the JWL. uh, Germany had a spec. We gathered all that information, and we showed them how if they just make it, uh, the car that that had the wheels had to have one of those three specs met, if you bought a, a a Datsun and it had uh, aluminum wheels on it, if it had the JWL spec, it didn't matter what, what what the law says. The wheel passed the spec, and it was a safe wheel. So you got no reason to to yell at them and write them tickets and stuff. So um, after two and a half years of uh, dealing with the various states. Uh, my, The lawyer friend, Dale Hoke, talked me into going to Washington mm. and uh, uh, worked for um, uh, uh, Automotive Parts and Accessories Association. And it was essentially to do the same thing, but it included the feds. And he had taught me all about what was going on with the uh, with the Clean Air Act and with the Safety Act, with the with the Noise Act, and just the government trying to design automobiles when they knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. so my task uh, for the start, at the beginning was to write the uh, the rules for Title two of the clean air act, which was the, which was the, uh, the rules that dealt with after aftermarket parts on engines that affected emissions. So they tossed me into this lion's den. And, um, here I go. I gathered up uh, guys like Dick Teasel from champion spark plug and Ken Hannum from TRW and, uh, uh, Ralph, I can't think of Ralph's last name uh, from Eklund, and we sat down and had a committee of manufacturers, and we drew up what their concerns were with the uh, with the Clean Air Act, and then Dale and I sat down and and tried to figure out how we could do that, and. I spent three years doing that Title II. The day I left Washington, it, I got finished. It still hasn't been implemented. That's how complicated it was. And it's a law, the Title II, the Clean Air Act is a law, but there's no rules. So we were successful in beating them back. And that's the history of me going to Washington
1: well, let me ask you another question, okay? While we're on the subject, okay, because you mentioned this. Now, being an old street racer myself and a hot rodder, and I got I had countless of tickets for noise violation, improper equipment, uh, speeding, improper change of lanes, um, yeah, you know, and on and on and on and on. But the the equipment deal, improper equipment, and noise, I got my share of those. Tires was another one I got one on there, but I didn't get nailed for any of that stuff that you're talking about. So in other words, when when I say that I'm talking about you know the noise thing, I mean I was running purple hornies back then with no insulators in it, so I was really really loud. Header mufflers, okay. So I knew I was law. The stuff that I did, I knew I was doing wrong. However. you're talking about guys with the tires hanging out just a little, but that was coming back in the sixties and seventies. Um, header, uh, you know, uh, glass packs. We all ran gas, glass packs. Um, some of the other stuff, as far as uh, emissions and stuff like that. Well, you know, I mean, you know, as soon as you take all the smog off your car, there was no law against it back in the day. So a lot of us weren't aware of that. So then, when you're talking about the Clean Air Act. You know, and uh, is that something that was nationwide or was that something that was unique and started in California like it always does? Something starts there and then, you know, migrates throughout the whole country or, or, you know, a lot of us aren't even aware. I mean, some of the stuff you mentioned, I'm not even aware of it.
3: Yeah, and you probably won't ever be unless you live in New Jersey or Massachusetts or Michigan or California.
1: So the other states didn't care, but just those states did.
3: Well, it, was, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem. Okay. But I forgot one issue that we did that we were really successful. Okay. Uh, a lot of these uh, uh, people, what they call superintendents uh, in the police force, uh, highway patrols in various states, they had an organization, or organization called the Com- A Compact, where these guys that are the administrators from various states, got together and talked about shared problems. Well, Dale found out about that, and we brought them to California to have their annual meeting, and we showed up with about 30 first-class hot rods.
1: Oh, nice. Nice.
3: And we we didn't tell them what we were doing. We just told them we had some cars we wanted them to see that was applicable to the item and item on their uh, agenda. Okay. And so when we got all done and they looked those cars over, they said, "My God, we can't outlaw this kind of stuff. I mean, it would be rude." And uh, so Dale and I sat down with him and showed him how they could deal with each, each issue separately on a rational basis that would get the guys that they want to get, but leave the average guy, Joe alone as long as he was just driving down a street and not doing something silly. Okay. Uh, you know, driver issues, not rather than vehicle issues. Right. 'Cause most of the vehicle issues were addressed when you had a moving violation. So they they didn't bother the noise if you just drove by the the police station and didn't have a eight thousand RPM.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: just cooling it. They didn't bother you. But if you're going ninety in a fifty five mile an hour zone and the car was loud, you're gonna get a speeding ticket, and you're going to get a fix-it ticket. So, what we did was, we drew up a set of rules for them, and then we went to North Dakota because the guy that was uh, the head of North Dakota Highway Patrol happened to be president of the organization, and he wanted to have the meeting in North Dakota. So, we went up there, and uh, we laid out these rules. Here's something you can deal with. Here's a noise spec with 85 decibels at 50 feet, which is a reasonable, you know, if you have open exhaust, you're going to fail. But if you've got nice, smooth-sounding mufflers and you drive by at 50 feet away, you won't make 85 decibels. Understand that 90 decibels is a threshold of pain, so that's how loud you can get away with. We didn't tell them that we tell, huh. we just told, gave them measurements you know gotcha uh we we gave them the bumper spec, we gave them the low vehicles uh there there weren't many low riders in those days, but we said that the the lowest a car can be is the the what happens when you have a flat tire does any metal hit the ground in other words, the bottom of the rim. On the on the front and rear wheels is the limitation of how low you can make the car.
1: Okay, that makes and, sense. And they love that.
3: You know, they could measure it with a pack of cigarettes. You know, and take a ruler and measure it, and it uh, it really helped them. And it got all the police departments off the back of the hot rodder as a general rule. And that was, that was the most successful thing that we did at SEMA, is get, the, get a hold of the compact and teach them about vehicles.
1: Now, this is still... Go ahead. I was going to say, SEMA still, is still actively involved with this, and then the, the most recent issue is the fact that the manufacturer, or the government, was trying to outlaw modifying cars. Share, share a little uh, insight as, as to how that's progressing.
3: Okay, that's Title Two of the Clean Air Act. Okay. California, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Michigan enforce the issue, and it's called the visual test. If you uh, open the hood and there's anything missing or added that doesn't have an exemption, you fail the emissions test, whether the tailpipe's clean or not. See that—that's that's really an obnoxious rule.
1: Yeah, absolutely,
3: and California is the worst there is about that. We have to smog every two years, and most cars in the hot rod business fail the visual. But only after 1975. So, if you want a hot rod, get one that's 75 and, and back. Okay, because they—they won't. There's no emission rule
1: for that. So basically, so I clarify this for my listeners, if I have sure. a 73 Trans Am or a 70 Mustang and that car came with smog originally, but it's not on there, but I can pass the emissions test even though on the, in terms of visual, which means if I look in the car, my smog is deleted, I'm okay. But if I have a car that's after 1975, so, so 76 and newer, I have to comply with both, visual and emissions, correct?
3: Yeah, and and only if you have a an emissions test do you have to sweat that's later than 75. Okay. Some states don't have it. Like, uh, Arizona has a, uh, a smog test for certain counties, like Maricopa County and And uh, Phoenix and some of the major metropolitan areas.
1: Okay, Phoenix, which is Maricopa County, and then I think Tucson's the other one that's like that.
3: But but not uh, Lake Havasu. Yeah. You know, there's no smog problem. Tucson doesn't have a smog problem. So the state doesn't require every car to be tested every two years. That's the. If you live in the county, and they can tell by the registration, you have to have a, a test, and they send you the thing in the mail to go have a car test before they'll renew the, the the registration.
1: Well, now it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that because here's what's happened, in, here's what happened in Florida, on again, off again. Okay, so for a while we had full inspections. Then we only had emissions that inspections. Then it was only selective counties. Then it was only if you were on social assistance, you were exempt from it. So then people were moving to other counties, so they couldn't register cars in other counties. Wait a minute, and it gets better. And so this was this was really a joke. And then, so we would, obviously back then, you know, you'd lean your car out, and you'd try to get through admissions and stuff like that, because they didn't they actually didn't physically look at your cars. Now, as a dealer, I'm an independent dealer. If I sell you a car... That was supposed to have smog control on it, and it's not. I can't legally sell you that car unless I retrofit the car with smog and pollutions. Even if I give you an exempt sticker, and of course now they they did away well, with that. See, so, I mean the whole. There's no consistency to any of this. No, and
3: and it and it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist.
1: So when you were up in Washington, then so you said the whether it was Clean Air Act one or whatever it was, you're saying Clean that Act. so you you, you set the yeah you set the ground rules and nothing's ever been done about it and that was what right. fifty years ago forty years ago fifty years, case, ago.
3: 1977. Okay. So years ago nineteen seventy
1: seven okay so forty five years ago
3: yeah so what and does that tell you it's not likely to, to be enforced because they haven't. That whole, whole thing has been shelved because it's too difficult to
1: enforce. All right, so let me ask you this. Who are the people, who are the culprits in this that are making this a stink? Is it law enforcement or is it actual legislators that think they know something?
3: Uh, legislatures that get a heater, a heat element from the population that says you've got to do something about it.
1: Okay. Whatever
3: we're talking about noise, emissions, what what have you? Loud Harley Davidsons, you know. I mean, it it starts loud Harley davidsons cars more problems <laughs> than just about anything else on the on the highway. Really? Yeah, because they they really make noise, and the guys go fast, and they're kind of an outlaw element. So therefore, they're targeted.
1: Ah, well, yeah,
3: Not barely, that's true. But targeted.
1: All right, let's go to something else now. We've already talked about the nasty stuff, the politics. Back in the day when you were hot riding stuff like that, did you ever get involved in drag boats, race boats, or any of that kind of stuff? Did you ever do any marine stuff?
3: I worked for Jake's Speed Shop in New Orleans, and we ran two boats, a hydro, uh, 266 hydro, called the Flying Cloud. Uh And we ran an e-service runabout called the Swamp Fire and Jake also had a 150 class with the with a V860 in it but he had that before I got there. Okay. And we we did good. We won USA 1 in the uh in the E-Service runabout at uh, uh St. Petersburg down there by you guys.
1: Yeah, Lake McGorry. Lake McGorry. Yeah.
3: And we we won the 266 class red uh what's red's last name? He worked for Clay Smith. He came down to New Orleans and stopped by Jake's, and uh, we went to Florida together and whipped his ass,
1: <laughs>
3: along with everybody else in the class.
1: Okay. Well, what about when you were out in California? Did you ever get involved with guys like Howard or, uh, let's see, who else built boats? Oh, Stevens yeah. Boats and then uh, uh,
3: S- Well, no. Sangers. Probably, uh, Ray Caselli had a... Uh, a flat-bottom with a Chrysler in it, uh-huh. and it was a Zuchel engine. And uh, I've messed around with that. And then I hung around with Rene Andre and the guys that ran the uh, the hydro, the drag boat hydro that Prodome crashed.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that. He raced a boat? Yeah, one time. <laughs> one time, okay. <laughs> he, t- he
3: took a ride in it, and he gave it the gas, and it was looking good, and he pulled his foot out of the throttle. And it flew. Oh, ooh. And 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 he uh, (laughs) he says, "I'm not going to do this anymore."
1: Did you ever know Rudy Rudy over at uh, Racing Craft? Yeah, Racing Racing Craft. Yeah, he was he was a
3: close friend of Jim Cavanaugh. Okay, My friend Cavanaugh used to ride with him in that in that uh, flat bottom. Huh. Uh, That was that was a nice boat.
1: Hey, with the uh, recent passing of Danny on the gas on Gaius, did you ever know? I mean, when he raced the Interscope cars at Daytona and Sebring, that was kind of when I became more familiar with Danny on gas on Gaius. Uh, What was he like back in the day? Because he raced an HRA, you know, the flying Hawaiian. He
3: was the quietest guy you'll ever run across. Really? He never said anything, so he never exposed himself. Uh Uh-huh. He did give me a ride in the double zero, uh, Interscope car at Riverside. Oh, really? And that was the second only to Danny Helm in the in the group seven car that I got a ride with. When I was a journalist, I could get a ride with these guys, you know. Uh huh. And, uh, they figured I was going to write something about him. Danny, <laughs> Danny gave me a ride because he was, he and I were friends. I gotcha. And, uh, Bruce was given rides to, Bruce and, and Denny, uh, Bruce McLaren and Denny Holm were given people at the press event for a Can-Am race in Riverside. And those Can-Am cars were built for two people. So uh, that was kind of in the rules. And I rode with Denny Holm in that McLaren, and I, uh, I'm i telling you, uh, I've been 200 in a, in a dragster. Yeah, but going going down the back straightaway at Riverside in an open air McLaren with the wind hitting face <laughs> at about the same speed, and it, then shutting off and making turn nine—I mean, that was really something. It just got my hackles up.
1: <laughs>
3: well, unbelievable.
1: Don, we are up against the clock again, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to—I'm going to—you know—I got a couple of other stuff going on here in the next couple of weeks or so, but I want to get you back. I want to hear some more drag racing stories, road racing stories, and some of the stories with some of the great drivers you've, you've had a chance to meet over the over the years.
3: Yeah, a couple of them drove for me. Well, I'll tell you John what, Gates and Gary Gebelich, you know.
1: Okay, well, we look—we will—we look forward to it. I want to thank my special guest, uh, Ron Pietro, Don Pietro. Uh, just a super swell all around guy, hot rodder, journalist, uh, political lobbyist. I'd yeah, do well. And uh, yeah, and 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 the uh, you know the, the the wave maker. You know, I mean, you know. So uh, yeah, Don. Uh, and okay. so, and someday we'll see you here at Amelia Island, won't we? Perhaps, yeah. Okay. Well, next time I'm out at SEMA, I I'm going to come invite you. You you Well, we can help you arrange that. We can help arrange that. The next time I'm at SEMA this fall, I'm going to come hunt you down. All right. I'll, I should be there one day only. One day only? Okay, well, I'll Thanks touch base so with you ahead of time. We'll definitely know. All right, Don, take okay. care. Thank you. Thanks again. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right. Hey, uh want well, to thank you all for tuning in to Nostalgia Radio cards. Don't forget, this weekend, Amelia Island, the Amelia. I expect to see you guys there. It's going to be great. So a three-day weekend, four-day weekend, five-day weekend. Starts actually tomorrow. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Town Talk Radio Network and... You guys need to get out and drive your cars. There's more car shows coming up. The Classic and Antique Boat Show is coming up in a couple weeks up in uh, Tavares. You need to go to that. Uh, Sebring, 12-hour race is coming up. All kinds of cool stuff. Big shout-out to my friends over at Fast Lane Travel. If you want to hop a Porsche and run 200 miles an hour down the Autobahn, check out Fast Lane Travel. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.